0: In this edition, we visit with composer Lenny Pickett, a stellar saxophonist and master of woodwind instruments from the flute and small clarinet to the giant sarusophone, as he discusses his career straddling popular culture and the avant-garde, illustrated with excerpts from concerts recorded at Roulette between 1984 and 2018. And now, Lenny Pickett.
1: Hi, my name is Lenny Pickett and I'm a saxophone player. You may know me from my work on Saturday Night Live. I've been the saxophone soloist on the show since 1985 and I've been the band leader since 1995. I grew up in Berkeley, California in the 1960s and early 1970s. The Bay Area was a hotbed of musical activity. It was a mecca for musicians. You could hear blues musicians and folk musicians and jazz musicians from all over the country. There was a burgeoning free jazz movement there. There was a wide open experimental rock scene. Local gospel music was on the radio every Sunday. Electronic music was a reality at Mills College and through pioneers like Pat Gleason, Morton Subotnick, and Don Buchla. It was the land of an experimental music tradition that included Lou Harrison, Terry Riley, Steve Reich, and Harry Parch. There was a world music scene that included a resident gamelan orchestra and outdoor African and Afro-Cuban drumming sessions that happened every weekend on the university campus. All this, plus open format radio stations and a local soul station where Sly Stone was one of the DJs. It was a wonderland of musical novelty. I began playing clarinet when I was nine in the fourth grade, and I switched to tenor saxophone when I was 13. My stepfather was a jazz musician, a trumpet player. He would sit with me for hours playing the piano while I practiced improvising along with him. He had a group of friends that were jazz musicians and I began improvising with them after school and on the weekends. And soon I opted to stop going to school and just play music all the time. I did my first gigs when I was 14 with a local soul band and I began forming my own bands with my friends. We played in bars and on the streets at parties, wherever we could play. In 1969 I met Burt Wilson, a neighbor of mine and a saxophonist who was among the avant-garde jazz musicians in the Bay Area. We became friends, invited me to his apartment, played records for me, introduced me to his musician friends and gave me a couple of saxophone lessons. In 1972, Tower of Power hired me to go on the road with them, and I toured with them until 1981, eventually recording 10 albums with them. In 1981, I moved to New York to get off the road and settle down with my family. New York offered two things, creative opportunities and a way of making a living without traveling. Before I made the move, I'd been recording in my home studio, composing with the tape recorder. When I got to New York, I set up my studio and continued to compose while I began looking for work in the recording studios around town as a studio musician. Before I made the move, my wife had been living in New York, working as a dancer in the downtown music and art scene, working with the choreographer, Andy DeGroat. She knew many composers and musicians. Through her connections, I met people like John Gibson and Philip Glass, Ned Sublett, Scott Johnson, Eric Richards, and quite a few other people. Some of the studio musicians in town knew about me through my connection with Tower of Power. And I began to find work as a studio musician, working for different acts as well as doing some film dates and commercials and many different kinds of recorded music. Recording studio work was not very steady though. And in 1983, I got an offer to go on the road with David Bowie and I took it. We were traveling for the better part of a year. Up to this point, I've been composing for myself in my recording studio. But on the road with David, there was a saxophone trio that was the horn section for David's band. We called ourselves the Borneo Horns. Steve Elson played baritone sax, Stan Harrison played alto sax, and I played tenor sax. As we traveled, I composed a number of saxophone trios that we would play during our time waiting for the sound checks to start. When the tour was over, I put together some rehearsals and we did some gigs playing at benefit concerts and other things of that sort. In 1984, we did a show at Roulette. I brought some recordings of our gigs to an interview that I did at WKCR. And Jeff Muldauer, a brilliant singer and interpreter of country blues, who was once married to Maria Muldauer and also a record producer, heard the broadcasts and found me and asked me if I would like to make a Borneo Horns album. By the time all this had happened, I'd taken the job at Saturday Night Live as the saxophone soloist. And while I was there, I met the great record producer, live event impresario, and all-around musical genius, Hal Wohner. Hal was our needle-drop guy who selected music from recordings to underscore many of the comedy, sketches, and films. Jeff Moldauer also knew Hal, and he asked him to participate in making the Borneo Horns album. This began a relationship with Hal that resulted in my participating in a number of his recording projects, including recordings with writers William Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg. Through my work with the Borneo Horns, my music became better known, and I had the opportunity to work with a number of different choreographers, including Stephen Petronio, Charlie Moulton, Marta Renzi, and Yoshiko Chuma. The documentary filmmaker Frederick Weissman heard my music when the Borneo Horns played at Summer Stage while he was making a film about Central Park, and he asked me to participate in creating an opera based on one of his films, Welfare, about a New York City welfare office in the 1970s. Some years later, I worked with Fred Weissman again and the Minneapolis-based choreographer James Sewell and his company, making a ballet based on Fred's first film, Tiddy Follies. In 1989, I did another concert at Roulette, a solo concert this time, using the music from the piece that I composed for choreographer B.B. Miller's dance called Thick Sleep. It's a solo saxophone performance to tape. The piece is about a half an hour long and uses 72 wind instruments, tape recording accompaniment includes 36 tracks of saxophones, plus clarinets, flutes, double reeds, and a percussion section, all of which I recorded myself and eventually remixed and released as an LP last year. Roulette has always been a fantastic resource, providing me and many other artists, including musicians, dancers, and visual artists, with a place to perform and create. I have always been able to explore my interests there, no matter how unorthodox or unusual they might be. As a policy, Roulette embraces and supports many genres of music experimentation, from aleatory processes to free improvisation, as well as more formal types of composition and concertizing. In 2012 i did a concert at roulette using a very traditional jazz ensemble with michael wolf on piano james genus on bass and john hadfield on drums and percussion with tape music elements added in as well My upcoming concert on September 18th has a little bit different approach. I'm interested in how making music is the act of creating sound in space across time. Music has as its most basic attribute the possibility to manipulate time. It can act as a mnemonic and help us remember certain times. Music can suspend the sensation of time passing or increase awareness of time passing. It can inspire action and movement and rhythm and thus gather listeners in a common experience of time. All of the music in my upcoming concert reflects my interest in time. Most of the titles are dates, time markers that represent the time that the first idea for the piece of music came to me. There are several metric modulations, time transitions that play with the steady flow of time. There are mixed meters that create interruptions in the flow of time, and there are ostinatos that suspend time. Music also requires sound, and all sound can be perceived as music. In this concert, I've chosen sounds that I have a particular fondness for. The sound of a vibrating air column, the sound of a resonant object being struck, the sound of a plucked string stretched across a resonant material, the sound of air vibrating a suspended reed. The presentation of this music reflects my interest in how multiple sounds coexist and interact in a shared space. I'm using instruments with matching dynamic potentials and all 12 of the players are capable of producing sounds at volumes to blend with each other without the use of amplification. This makes it possible to have sound emanating from 12 different sound sources, plus a myriad variety of sound sources that the percussionists have available. Rather than the now common practice of using microphones to collect the sound of each instrument, electronically mix those sounds and then channel them to a pair of speakers. Complex stereo effects result from this once common practice. Roulette has been a home for my music for a long time. Roulette represents a community of musicians and listeners that is a rare, rare thing in our world today. I'm so grateful that it still exists. Thank you, Jim Staley and the staff at Roulette, for keeping this institution alive.
0: We have been listening to the music of composer and performer Lenny Pickett. These recordings have been preserved as part of the Roulette Concert Archive Project. This podcast is a 2021 Webby Award honoree and is made possible in part with support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Grammy Museum. Please subscribe. This is David Weinstein at the desk. Thanks to Lenny Pickett, his collaborators, and all listening. You have been listening to The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.